just want to also say that Gertrude generously provided for the dinner after the service, so that should be coming very soon. And I also want to introduce the speakers, not me today. It's Mr. Dave Eddings. I've known Dave for 2009, right? Since 2009, we, I was doing a life group in my building, and they were one of the first people that came. And he started leading his own life group. He's preached before at CIC. He's a super godly guy, loves the word, loves the Bible, and very knowledgeable. And I think he's going to bless you uh, this afternoon. So, Dave, you want to come up and and preach the word. And yes, as, as for our first Friday service, we're going to deviate from Philippians and yes, um, uh, sermon he's going to preach. Can you hear me okay? All right. One other thing I have to do is set my timer because that is it's important to, to everyone <laughs> that I don't go over. All right. Okay, listen, uh, we're going to preach, I'm going to preach today on uh, the road to Emmaus. It's the, uh, as it says in bulletin, it's the, probably the greatest sermon never recorded. Uh, but I want to say something about prayer. If anyone who comes up here needs prayer. And you should pray every time for the person behind this pulpit. Or whatever it is, you should stand. Because um, you need to person behind this needs the prayer and you need to practice. So we all need to practice prayer in this. And also for God to open our hearts, our minds, our souls, uh, to give us clear clarity uh, in what's being said. And for Jesus to be glorified. Jesus has to be glorified in everything that we do. And uh, that helps us in our as a believer and of course as our faithfulness in the resurrected life of Christ that we all participate in. So open heart, open eyes. Let's just have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that you're here. Help us not to miss the fact that you're here with a word and that you want to transform our lives. God, we thank you that you, your Holy Spirit is mighty and powerful and that, God, that we are broken. We are here. We are things in our lives that need uh, transforming. God, our hearts sometimes just need work. Thank you for this scripture that we're going to cover today. Thank you for your word. I just pray for blessings for each one here, Lord God. Thank you and give us a love for you that surpasses every other kind of love we know about. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This passage that we're going to uh, deal in today, and that's in the last chapter of Luke, Luke 24, and we're going to start with verse 13. This passage is uh, about walking away uh, in despair, walking away in discouragement from our Jerusalems, walking away, and also meeting the real Jesus uh, through the scriptures. Now, I say the real Jesus because there's so many Jesuses out there. When someone says, I believe in Jesus, you need to ask him, which one are you talking about? And listen to what they say. Uh, a man, a Muslim, will have a different view of Jesus than the scriptures have. Uh, an atheist will have a different view of Jesus. Ask them, listen to them, when they come back with this. But we're going to meet Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Also, it's about returning to mission, joyful, uh, a joyful heart, and a resurrection faith. That's what Jesus does. He puts us back on mission. 
back in life to where we're supposed to be in our Jerusalem. So I have a simple outline we'll follow. Heartbroken, heartburn, and supernatural eyesight. Okay, heartbroken, heartburn, supernatural eyesight. So this road to Emmaus story is only in the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, nowhere else, in the last chapter. So let's start reading, dive into this. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these matters you're discussing so intently as you walk together? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? I mean, it's on every news channel, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, going viral on Facebook and on Twitter. All these things are happening. You don't know anything about this? You just came from Jerusalem? How could you have be? And Jesus said to them, What things? What things are you talking about? Now, that's kind of similar to what God said in the Garden of Eden when he asked Adam, where are you? Where are you? He knew where they were. God is omniscient. He knows about everything. But he was trying to get a response from them. Where are you spiritually? Same thing he's asking you today. Where are you spiritually? What things are you talking about? Why are you talking about this? They said to him, and notice it says they, and by the way, we assume sometimes that this is too bad. In most commentaries I read, it talks about two men walking to Emmaus. We see paintings, two men walking to Emmaus. It doesn't say two men. It doesn't say one man. It could be Cleopas and his wife. We don't know. But they said to him, concerning Jesus, uh, they said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was a prophet, he, he did powerful miracles. He's a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. This is our hope. This was the gospel of Cleopas. You notice something missing here? He's a prophet. You hear that a lot here in Kuwait. He was a prophet. He was a man. He did great things. He said great things. But they're disappointed. They were disappointed because they were looking for a Messiah who would come and conquer, who would take over, take the Roman Empire out Nukem and set up his own kingdom. This is the way they saw it. This is what the main media at that time was covering about the Messiah. They were led astray because they assumed too much sometimes. But he says, yes, continuing scripture, yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since he's happened. We're walking away from Jerusalem to Emmaus. On the third day, Jesus comes up to meet him. Moreover, some women in our company amazed us. They, they were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they hadn't even seen a vision, uh, excuse me, came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they didn't see. Again, false assumptions. We all make them. We all misuse the scripture sometimes. 
in this universe means we're wrong in details, we're wrong in doctrine. Uh, think about the Christmas story. There's a lot of wrong things that we, that we tradition says about the three wise men. It doesn't say three wise men, it says three gifts. But we assume it's three wise men. You have a lot of stories in the Bible that we assume who cut Samson's hair. Most people think it was Delilah. No, the Bible says it was a barber. She called in a guy to cut his hair, right? A lot of different things. Uh, we think the Ten Commandments, because we see pictures in, in Bibles, we see movies where the Ten Commandments, you got five here, five here, and he's Moses is coming down and got five, and he breaks the tablet. The Bible says in Exodus 32 that they were written on both sides. Not just one side, like the pictures, but on both sides of the tablets. There's a reason for that. I'm not going to get into all these things, but I'm just saying, even when it comes to doctrine, we assume certain things, and we all have presuppositions. We all have presumptions about either doctrine of incarnation, second coming. There's a lot of different viewpoints, right? We have to go back to scripture to get the truth. And that's, that's what we're doing. But they were heavily influenced by tradition. The Pharisees are heavily influenced by the way they interpret the prophecy. They saw the second coming, they didn't see the first. So look what happens. Oh, let me read you one more thing. All this started with Genesis, when Satan came in and gave uh, the first lie, right? Adam and Eve were there, and uh, of course Eve, Satan was talking to her, and she corrected him, and he starts covering up some things. Now, we all like realism. I love realism, I'm an artist. And you see a painting of the horse is a horse, and it looks really fantastic. The guy is a, there's a man, you can tell it's a man. Today, it's, it's a lot of abstract art and everything else that goes on. Or there's photoshopping that goes on, you can trick your eyes. I mean, or you can put things in place that don't belong. But there's also the caricature, the type of artwork that stretches truth. Uh, a caricature is, and I used to do these a lot, you draw a person, if they have big ears, you drink them extra big. You exaggerate a, a portion of their anatomy. Uh, if they have a big nose, you put a huge nose, or a little eyes, you make them even smaller. And guys laugh at these things. <laughs> That's funny, you know. Women is a different, different story. Uh, I found out that you don't draw a woman exactly the way she is. You don't draw a caricature that if she has a double chin, you don't put that in there. And that's the hard way. Because I had one woman go around and say, just look at me, you just look like me. And, and it looked exactly like her, but it was because uh, the way she was reacting. No, 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 no. You look much younger. So I drew her 30 years younger and she loved it. Okay, <laughs> that's the way it is. But listen, the paintings back in the old days, they kind of was their Photoshop. So they would, they would cover up the, the blemishes and the warts and everything else, make them look better than they were, just like in Photoshop today. But um, the caricature, the lie came in and caused this distortion. Satan came in, covered up the truth. He gave you a half truth, which is a full lie, but he twisted and turned it and he questions God's word. The very first sin was questioning his word. And so brings this distortion. So this still is with us. We still have distortions all over the place. That's why cults are here. That's why heresies are here everywhere. So the Bible is our source for truth. And it's our only source for truth. Um, now, I'm not saying you don't go in history and everything else, but ultimately, the Bible is our guide, nothing else, right? So let's look at scriptures again. Here's the heart, well, the hardware that comes on, Luke 24, 25 through 27. Here is Jesus giving us a golden key 
is sort of the, the Jesus hermeneutic. And hermeneutic means the science and art of interpreting scripture. And Jesus says, this is the way you interpret scripture. This is the way you do it. So he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus may have begun in Genesis 3.15, the first promise of the Messiah, the first promise of the Savior. Remember that? It says that Satan will bruise his heel, that he will crush his head. So that connotes some kind of suffering, doesn't it? Yes, the suffering Satan. They didn't see that quite like that. And still the Jews today still look at some uh, a political type of military hero to come in and overthrow the government. Jesus went through all these epiphanies through text and typology. The Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of Noah, the ram caught in the thicket. Remember that? It was concerning Isaac. There was a substitute. God told him to offer his son. Now, just on the technical side, God never said to kill his son. He said to offer him up. And then he had the ram in place. That Jesus is saying, that ram is what I'm here for, right? The tabernacle, the manna, the high priest, the bronze serpent, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, the Passover lamb, uh, the son of man in Daniel, the fourth man walking in the fire. All these things point to Christ. The whole Old Testament points to Christ. This is the Jesus from the I'm talking about. So everything in the Bible points to Christ. Here's something interesting. Jesus' name in Hebrew is Yeshua, and he was called Yeshua Mashiach. Jesus the Christ. The word Yahweh in Old Testament, in the pictographs, where they look like hieroglyphics, the name Yahweh, yod heh wah in Hebrew, Yod was a, an arm, showed the strong arm, an arm, in the old pictographs. I wish I could show you a slide of that. yod heh was a little man drawn like a stick figure with his hands raised. Showing they've been behold or reveal or a window. Uh, Wa or Va could be pronounced both ways, was a tent peg. The early pictographs in Hebrew was all agricultural symbols a plow, an ox. The A was an ox head. If you turn it around the way they wrote it, like uh, it was a, it's an A. Uh, B looked like a tent, uh, the bet. But all these pictured. Yahweh's name. This is what Yahweh's name means. Yodhe the arm, reveal, behold, and then uh, Yodhe was the tent peg where you secure a tent. It's a nail that's driven in to the ground. And then Yodhe Wahei, hey again, behold. The name of Yahweh actually means in pictographs, behold the hand, behold the nail about Jesus. The Jews used to wonder, why didn't the Bible start, the first word with A, which is a symbol of God in the, in the Old Testament, with the Aleph, the Aleph instead of the Bet. That's where we get alphabet, Aleph Bet. They wondered a lot about this, but the word, the very first word in Hebrew in the Bible is Bershit. And Bershit means in the beginning. That's the way it starts. So it's a Bet. It starts with the B. All right, the very last letter in the Bible, 
Does anyone know the very last word of the Bible? Amen. Is the new Greek word new, R-N. So you have the bet and you have the new. That together in Hebrew, bin, 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 which means son of. That's what that means. Ben Hur, the son of Hur. Ben Joseph, the son of Joseph. The whole Bible, from beginning to end, from first to last, from Alpha to Omega, from Aleph to Tav, talks of God the Son. Right? So, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Jonah 2 9. Jonah 2 9 says, Salvation is of the Lord. Sort of a, a concise summary of the entire Bible. Salvation is of the Lord. Five words in English, two words in Hebrew. You know who those two words are? Yeshua Yahweh. Yeshua Yahweh. You can look it up. If you have a blue letter Bible app, you can go to Greek and find it. You can look it up uh, on Google. Salvation is of the Lord, Yeshua Yahweh. All right, so let me read this to you from uh, Dale Ralph Davis quote. He says, for our own benefit, I think we should pay attention to Jesus' method here. At this point, it was more crucial that these two disciples could hear Christ and to see him. Jesus could have disclosed himself with an ungrammatical, it's me, fellas. He could have just said, here I am. But Jesus didn't give them a neat experience. He rubbed their noses in the scripture. He said, you should know this. All this talks about the suffering servant, talks about me. Otherwise, you'll always be making him something he's not if you don't, if you don't see that. Here, Jesus thought learning Christ was more urgent than eliminating sorrow because they were sad. They were disheartened. We usually prefer an instant solution for Jesus to lift the sadness, clear up the perplexity, but more than that, he wants us to know him. He wants us to know him through the scripture. So how did Jesus relieve you? Not by some mystical experience, but by dragging you into the scriptures. So now let's get back to the scriptures. Luke 24. So they drew near to the village in which they were going. He acted as if he was going to go further. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay, stay with us, for it's toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. They said, please come, come stay with us. We want to hear more about this. Their hearts were burning. And here comes the supernatural eyesight. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. As soon as they recognized him, boof, he's gone. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us when he talked to us on the road, which, and he opened up the scriptures to us? And they rose that same hour, that very same hour, went back to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven. And those who were with them gathered, gathered together, saying, The Lord has, been, has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. This is what the disciples said. And then they told him what happened to them on the road and how he had, uh, was known to them in the breaking of the bread. God, when he broke the bread, they recognized him. Not, you, you know, you'd think that while he was explaining the scriptures, they would recognize him. But he held that off. God revealed to them after he broke the bread, whatever that was, maybe he was his, his scar from his hand. So, funny thing about Luke, I'm coming to a close of this, but funny thing about Luke is that uh, in every passage of scripture almost, Jesus is either at a meal, he's going to a meal, he's coming from a meal. Uh, and if he's not going or coming, 
he's talking about meals like with the prodigal son and the big party they gave, or he's talking about the, the rich man, a banquet. It's always about banquets. It's always about a meal. It's all over the scripture. Even the meal, the Lord's Supper, we have. It's all pointing to that companionship that Christ has with us. The word companion, by the way, is two Latin words. Come, which means together with, and panis, which means bread. So if to come together and bring bread, that's what a companion is. Because you don't eat meal with an enemy unless you're trying to make him your friend. It's all about friendship and fellowship and discipleship. And this is what Jesus has done. It's very important, meals. Very important in the Bible, eating. Jesus came, it says, Jesus came, uh, how's it put that in? in uh, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, says in Luke 7. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. They say, he was like, he's always partying, he's always eating and drinking. That's part of the fellowship. That's part, even we have a banquet in, in our future, the marriage supper of the Lamb, it would be fantastic. And I'm sure they'll have banana pudding there. I'm pretty sure about this. It's not all requested. You can request anything that will come out. So that's the ministry of Jesus and his grace, his community, his mission. They represent something much bigger than just me. And even that's one of the greatest points of evangelism we have in our home is our faith. Have people come in and share with the gospel, a meal, and share with them. This is a great thing. So you want to be like Jesus? Seek out Emmaus walkers, people who are discouraged, who are dejected, who are sad, who are walking away from Jerusalem. Seek them out. Come alongside. Share Jesus with them. Be, start getting into the conversations and listening to where they are and introducing them to Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lord, uh, Lord of Lords. Point them to Christ. Father, we thank you for this time of God. We thank you for your wonderful work and how amazing it is and how it doesn't come back void. It always accomplishes precisely what you intend for it to accomplish. Lord, our hearts are broken. Lord, our hearts are in need. Where we have troubles, we have burdens. And you say, just put them all at your feet and you'll take care of everything. God, we thank you that you are a God who supplies our every need. I pray, God, that you bless this church, that you'd bless our lives. Would you put us, help our hearts to burn, Lord, burn with the fire of God. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.